coming this fall, the new Pickle Boys album. Haven't gotten your fill of the Pickle Boys? Then you're in luck. This greatest sponsor of the weird ever, the Pickle Boys, are coming out with a new album this fall with their hits such as What's in My Jar? What Did You Pickle Me With? Brine My Love in Your Sauce. That and more coming from the Pickle Boys this fall only on Dolby Audio. The Pickle Boys. Okay, I noticed that your eyes were averted when you were doing that. Did you actually write that down? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> it looks like it looks like something you like you wrote down and you finessed for the entire no. day. No, and and no, I think you know what I was doing. I was watching my um, baby monitor. My it looks like my my mic is hot, and I'm watching my little bars as I was talking. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, that says it all. I, I, I'll take that as a compliment that you thought that I had taken time to write that out. It wasn't a compliment. It wasn't? Oh, okay. It's a special week, Dan. It is a very special week, Riley. Mm-hmm. It is the, uh, it's a week in April. And why is it a special week beyond being a week in April, Dan? Uh, because my kids are stomping extra loud upstairs. They are, too. I can hear them. Why don't you buy them soft shoes? I should. It's the clogs. I think it's the wooden clogs that are the problem. You should send them to Japanese school, and then they'll walk lightly. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Um, no, it's a special episode because we have a guest. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, and no, it's not Sean Tucker. So that makes it that much more special. Uh, Riley, we have a very special guest. Should I go ahead and, and introduce her? Yeah, and you know what? For the episode, I could I could pretend to be Sean Tucker. Yeah, so there, there was a plane and it went down and it was really bad and everybody was, uh, oh yeah, oh. There, is that good? <laughs> That's great. All right, so our guest is a folklore student as well as a writer, actor, and artist. Currently based in Newfoundland, which is the uh, the uh, an island province in Canada, the farthest east and last province to join uh, the Confederation. Recent projects include the uh, pandemic radio play Quarantine in Quarantine and the ongoing ocean podcast The Deeps. Karen is currently working on the anthology A Compendium of Enigmatic Species as part of the Practical Fantasis creative team. Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Murray Bergquist. Hi, Karen. Hello. How are, did now, Karen? Did I butcher anything there? Like pronunciation? That all sounded good. Um, also, nobody who uh, initially reads it can pronounce the name Quarantine, so uh, I do apologize for throwing that at you. <laughs> did Did I get it right though? Quarantine. Nearly. Um, it, it's a It's a French, well, it's a Breton name, but oh. you, we usually give it the French pronunciation, so it's sort of a like the N is slightly dropped, it's quarantine, um, but, but that's okay. I should have done that whole thing with a French accent. Oh, it would have been so much yeah, better. Yeah, because you do, you do that really well. And the other one was fantasis, fantasis. That exactly. made me nervous, and I, and I, but I got through it. Because uh, if you've listened to the show, good listener, you know that I have trouble sometimes pronouncing nor just words. And so this was a, a nice warm-up exercise uh, to, to start the show. Karen, thank you so much for, for joining us, uh, for this, uh, for this episode. We've been talking for quite some time, uh, to get you on, but you were away on a ship and, yes. uh, and we're not accessible to technology for a long time. 
Yeah, we had slightly patchy Wi-Fi in Antarctica. Oh, what? You were so you were in Antarctica? Wow. Yeah, I was uh, lecturing in history and acting as a general expedition guide in, in uh, on a ship going back and forth between um, Ushuaia in Argentina and Antarctica. So crossing the Drake five times. Wow! Oh, wow! Very cool. I can only imagine what that must be like there. I've been to the to the Arctic. I imagine that the Antarctic is very different, even from it is. More yeah, mountainous um, and... the things that stood out to me uninhabited, that which is yeah, right. su- super weird, and no plants. Or wh- okay, to be exact, there's two species of vascular plant, and then there's a bunch of mosses and seaweeds and lichens. But well, lichens aren't actually plants, so not sure if they really count. Right. Very cool. Very stark colors. You know, a lot of sort of black rock, white ice, blue ice. Um, everything just stands out. It's incredible. No, I have to know because I, I love this sort of thing. What kind of animal species would you be encountering on that journey? Oh, well, we saw penguins, lots and lots of penguins. Um, mostly Gen 2 penguins. They're the ones that have the sort of white eyebrows and orange beaks. Some chin strap, a couple of Adeli, and many species of seal. So we saw see, crab eater seals, Weddell seals, leopard seals, um, elephant seals, and fur seals. Oh. And fur seals are great because they're the, they're related to sea lions, so they're not what they call true seals. They're um, able to rotate their flippers, so they kind of go up and look around, and, and you know they're, they're very very expressive. They always sort of look like disapproving old men because they've got these giant whiskers <laughs> and uh, they they look down their noses at you. But they're very very cute, and they've got little ears too, so they're just um, a joy to watch. Nice. Now, do you get to get off the boat? Yep. You do. Okay. So you've set foot on that, on, on Antarctica. I did indeed. That is so amazing. It was spectacular. I even went into the water. I did the polar plunge. (gasps) Seriously. Yeah. Ran in and then ran very fast out. (laughs) Oh my God. What was the temperature of the water? I think it was around two degrees (gasps) Celsius. Oh my lord! Yeah, yeah, Lord, nice yeah. and refreshing. There was there was mass screaming. You know, all the passengers who, who were going in, they charge in and they charge out and they yell and shriek and we're just as bad. You know, it's a it was it was a very exciting, very once in a lifetime because nothing in the world would induce us to do it again event. <laughs> but you can say you'll always be able to say you did it. Oh yes, they gave me a certificate and everything. There you oh, go. you get a certificate. Oh, yeah. I'd be putting that on the wall. Isn't there a tradition as well when you cross the equator? Did you were you on a ship crossing the equator or did you fly to Argentina? I flew to Argentina, so I didn't get to do any of the weird equator cro- crossing rituals. And I looked it up because we did cross the Antarctic Circle at one point, and there's no ritual for crossing the Antarctic Circle. There's no uh, like shave your head and worship King Neptune or anything. It's it's so unfortunate. It's such a missed opportunity. No. Yeah, seriously. Mm, very neat. Are you a trained sailor then, or are you a re- like you're a researcher? Mostly on the guide and teacher front, um, sort of a 200-passenger ship, oh, mid-sized okay. um, sort of expedition cruise ship, I believe they're called. Yeah, the crew that were actually running the ship were separate from the staff that were lecturing and, and doing the people wrangling. So I was more okay. on the people wrangling side. Okay, okay, yeah. I, I was picturing a smaller, like a little ship, and you all have to... Uh, pitch in to make sure you don't die in the high Arctic Sea or Antarctic Seas. That's like the Picton Castle you're thinking of, Dan. One of those working, 
you sign up and then you put you to work boats. I have a friend who went on the Picton Castle. Oh, I, wow. oh, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. I thought you were. Yes, yes, I was sort of thinking of that type of thing. Like a sailing ship. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be cool, wouldn't it? And scary though. I'd be. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot so of work. Yeah, a lot of work. So, speaking of ships, you've come to tell us some stories. Yes, that was an excellent segue. Oh well, you know. Why they pay me the big bucks, Karen? Indeed. Um, I am here to talk about ghost ships. Ever since the Mary Celeste, have we done another ghost ship since the Mary Celeste, Riley? I don't think so. No, I don't think we have. No. I was going to do the, the, what is is that famous ghost ship that's in Pirates of the Caribbean? uh, Oh, the Flying Dutchman. Yeah, I was going to do that, but it, it it's, the, the market's saturated with the Flying Dutchman, so I thought I would avoid it. We we did do one one other that you made that lovely song about the ooh oorang madang. Oh yes, yes, but that wasn't a ghost ship. It was just a ship where everybody was killed. Well, it's kind of like a ghost ship. It was just floating there. It's empty. just a graveyard ship. Yeah, it, yeah. it's yeah. in in that same general umbrella. All right, Karen. So what what where where do you want to start? So, so my area in terms of ghost ships at the moment is the island of Newfoundland. And that's a huge area, as it turns out, because it's got a massive maritime history, which, of course, comes with a lot of maritime tragedies over the years. And a lot of people whose lives were dependent on the sea and on the resources of the sea. And there are so many stories that reflect the uncertainties involved in, in that history and in that reliance on a rather hostile element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So beginning of 2020, I was given a, a graduate assistantship in the uh, Mun Folklore and Language Archive. And I was asked if there were any special projects that I was interested in, in starting, if there was any area that I really wanted to work on. And initially I said I wanted to make a map of all the ghost legends in Newfoundland. And then I opened the drawer of index, legend index cards showing ghost legends in Newfoundland. And I thought, right, this is going to take more than the 60 hours that I have allotted to me. So I'm going to have to focus this somehow. And what I landed on was ghost ships and any stories of either abandoned derelict vessels, which is, I think, the legal definition of ghost ship. That's an official name for it. And also phantom apparitions. Right. Ships that are seen or heard after after sinking. Right. So so I have them all color coded on this digital map, which is still a work in progress. It's still something that actually this is probably what I'm going to do my thesis work on. I'm going to be expanding the well, expanding and finessing the map and conducting my own field work into the ghost ship stories that are told in in various communities in Newfoundland. Oh, that's amazing. So can I, I, I got to ask, because my head is just full of, of questions. So when you do some of your research, are you actually going and seeking out like verbal fol- folklore that people are just like recounting to you, like over a drink? <laughs> that is the plan. That's the, the hope that I can go and, you know, have, have these conversations, these interviews, and just talk to people about the stories that they might have heard growing up or the things that they might have read about from older sources within the community and particularly looking at how these stories change over time Mm -hmm. what elements are stable what elements are more dynamic and how how that's affected by different means of communication like well like the internet or you know communities that have roads 
versus communities that are that are fly in boat in only. Right. So elements like that. Oh wow! But at the moment, I've just got archival sources. Amazing. I've got. I've got to know. Uh, oh, you go ahead, Dan. Thank you, Riley. That's very polite of you. Wow, you've really come along. Good for you, um, Karen. Um, are a lot of these stories then part of their oral tradition, or are they written down? Like, are you able to find written accounts of these, or are you having to go to all of these different remote places in Newfoundland to hear these? She stories? just said. She just said right now that she's relying on archival sources. Thank you. That's a really interesting question because the archival sources come from from previous folklore students who have gone out and conducted these interviews and, and who have gotten them from oral sources. But written sources can also change the stories sometimes. And some of the stories I've tried to trace back because either they have connections to a historical vessel or they're just odd enough that I want to know where they come from. So there's a lot to look at there. There's one story in particular that uh, is the most complete one, I think, that I have on on the map. And that's largely thanks to the research of Dale Jarvis, who's a folklorist working here in in St. John's and wrote the book Haunted Shores, which is a really great compendium of ghost stories around the the coasts of Newfoundland. But this this story, he sort of outlines how a, a newspaper article in this case can completely change the public perception of uh, of a ghost ship story and can sometimes overwrite the the actual history. So the Blue Jacket was um, was a ship that was wrecked in 1862 in Conception Bay. Oh. It's been seen as a ghost ship a few times since. There's actually there's three sightings noted on the map, which are mostly just very short instances of of somebody recounting how they how they saw this ship that matched the description of the of the Blue Jacket. But there was an article in, I believe, the 70s that really dramatized the story quite a lot. You know, suddenly it, it wasn't a mail packet boat anymore. Oh. It was a British warship and it wasn't a wreck in which one person tragically perished. It was lost with all hands. And, you know, it was very different, very sort of overblown representation of the, of the story. And a really interesting tidbit at the at the end was that there had been some folklore around it being a weather warning or just a, a warning that you shouldn't go to sea. And in the 1970s article, it became a death omen, which to me is almost that that's so indicative of this shift in context from a community where people where most people were relying on the sea mm-hmm. and were, were actively involved in, in fishing or in sort of ocean-bound work to maybe a, more of a detachment. Uh, that what it reads like for, for me, because if it's a weather warning, if it's a warning that you shouldn't go to sea, then you were to go out then and a storm would come up and, and you drowned, then, then it could be read as a death omen. But it's also a very practical and very applicable lesson you know you, you you see it you don't go to sea you stay on shore and watch the storm from your windows so it's it's almost like the two sides of the same coin this idea of it being a warning versus versus an omen an omen is just a warning that you ignored basically so so tell us more about the actual that ship what you know to be true or what you glean from it to be true like what was it and what do people see i mean it was really just on a short voyage from i uh, i believe it started in st john's and it was heading up to Conception Bay, there was a fire on board and most of the, the the passengers and most of the crew were evacuated 
but they weren't able to rescue uh, one of the crew. So that's sort of the, the sketchy outline of, of the real story. Of what actually happened. Of what actually yeah, happened, yeah. yeah. The sightings of, of the ship that are uh, listed in the map, let's see, there's one near Portograve where there's a story collected in, in 2000. Someone interviewed someone who had seen the ship um, in Seal Cove, very similar. Some fishermen saw a phantom ship that they assumed to be the Blue Jacket. There, there's a bit of an odd one from another community and and I'm not quite sure if I'm missing some important point within it because to me it feels almost incomplete. So the story goes that the Blue Jacket was carrying some lumber and when the ship was wrecked the cargo washed ashore and there was a man who who found some of the lumber and was really reluctant to use it to take it from the beach and to build with it even though you know it's free lumber but he felt like it was a little bit a little bit unlucky because mm-hmm. it had come from a shipwreck. So he kept walking and he found some wood further up the beach that he thought, okay, probably this is just ordinary driftwood. It's not cursed shipwreck wood. Mm-hmm. And so he took that home and he built with it. And then he started hearing moans and voices from the wood that he he used from, from the beach. And he realized that it must have come from the wreck as well. And once he removed the wood, the sounds stopped and he was never bothered again. Such a great story. Yeah. Is this a common thing that you? it's bad luck to collect things from, from a shipwreck? I don't know how widely that would have been held because I have heard that there is a British superstition. And I don't know, again, how widespread this is, that it's bad luck to build with driftwood or, or to use in any capacity uh, driftwood from a wreck. But... Just from my understanding of based on other legends and based on sort of snippets of history, it often wouldn't have been a superstition that was practiced too frequently because when you can have free wood or um, you know free cargo mm-hmm. drifting in from from the shore, you use it. You use what you can get. And I mean, in some communities, there were, of course, there's legends of wreckers who would deliberately lure lure ships onto the rocks. I haven't found any of that in Newfoundland yet, but but there's a lot of it around, say, the English West Country. So I have to know um, now, when they would see the blue jacket, what would they see? That is another really interesting question, because the stories that are in the archive, they don't have a particularly specific description. Other legends do have much more detail. In some cases, it's an entire ship. I assume with the blue jacket, there's enough consistency, there's enough enough of a form that's seen mm-hmm. to be able to recognize it as being from the right era. But in many cases, I mean, that that's also one of the few named vessels. Okay, okay. Because, you know, I'm... I'm picturing in my head, like the Scooby-Doo, you know, it's, it's all blue and glowing. Uh, yes. You can immediately tell that it's a ghost, you know, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, there's not too many like that. There's a lot of, it looked like an ordinary ship and then it disappeared or it sailed through mm-hmm. our ship. There's one, again, a very short little story, just an account yep. of someone who was on, on board a ship and saw another ship sailing alongside, cursed at it, and the ship turned around and sailed straight through the ship the guy was standing on. So I guess I it didn't take kindly imagine. to being cursed at. Oh, that's great. Weird. Yeah, there's um, several several very brief legends that tell us so much in such a short span, but a lot of them are that's a great big story. apparitions. They're lights or they're the sound of a ship's bell at a point where a ship was known to have gone down. 
there are these little local markers where there isn't necessarily a full narrative or there isn't necessarily a full history. There probably was at some point, but at this, maybe maybe it was centuries ago and it isn't really possible to trace anymore. So the variety of, you know, everything from, you know, there's, there's a strange light over there to this whole long history with the blue jacket, everything is fa- can be found in this archive. Amazing. Can I ask you a quick question before we get into, because I think Dan and I would probably like to hear your maybe top stories, the sure. ones that you think are, are the most intriguing. But before we do that, I'd like to know where does your interest come from? Have you always had an interest in this kind of thing? Just tell us a little bit about your background mm. in terms of that led you on this journey. I mean, I've always been interested in ghost stories, uh, the, the frisson of the things that go bump in the night and all that. Mm-hmm. Always rather fascinating. And I've always been really fond of the sea. I, I actually do sail as well as working on, um, on these ships. The sea is just sort of a constant source of fascination for me from mm-hmm. the science where like, there's always something new being found out about, uh, about it and the whole long history of, of the sea, the ancient seas, and then the human history of the sea as transport, as, as obstacle as a place to gather resources, but also as this constant threat. It's, I guess, our lives have been intertwined with the, with the sea for, for so long. There's always something to be, be learned or to be uh, talked about there. And I love sea stories. I love nautical fiction uh, as well. So that, of course, is, is a help that, that it tends to come into every aspect, every facet of my life. Okay, good to know. That's mm-hmm. that's exactly what I was wondering. Okay, so can you then share with us some of the the stories that you think are, are the most worthy of this podcast? Something that our listeners would find, you know, how intriguing and a little bit frightening and whatever. Sure. Um, I will say there aren't a lot of particularly lengthy narratives in the map. So I'll, I'll go over a few of the maybe exemplary ones that Great. that illustrate some of the patterns there. And then if it's not too off topic, I'll tell the longer and sort of more literary story from the Drake Passage. Karen, if you've ever listened to the show, we often are going off topic. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so I, I have a feeling you'll be more on topic than Riley and I normally are. Okay, yes. Because um, it is still a ghost ship story, um, just yeah, yeah, from a yeah. slightly different Absolutely. part of the world. So one of the things that that appears multiple times is this idea of ghosts being unsettled, ghosts, especially ghosts who have died at sea, not receiving a proper burial, so they have to have to wander around and cause a ruckus for the living. And there's one instance of that in Fairyland, in the southern shore of the Avalon Peninsula. And God, I love the names in this province. But there was a, mm, yes. a vessel wrecked near there, and the victims of the wreck were washed ashore, and they were actually properly buried. But even so, their ghosts are sometimes heard. And possibly from the same wreck, there is a story of a headless ghost wandering around just mm-hmm. seemingly aimlessly ar- around the area, as well as carpentry sounds emanating from the courthouse, which might hint at coffins being made for, for the victims of this shipwreck. Oh, that's fascinating. Are these ghosts menacing at all? What's the general reaction people have to them? They don't seem to be considered a threat. Well, the cries might might be a little eerie, might be something that mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to hear, but they're not 
they're not seen as an omen necessarily. Okay. Mm. Just a bit unwelcome. <laughs> I just think headless and that freaks me out because it makes me think of the headless horseman. Oh, yes. Oh, that's a good story. That's Washington Irving. That's, that's yeah, that's kind of my part of the world. And I when I, when she said headless, I immediately thought of, of all the aristocracy that's been beheaded in the UK. It's supposed to be wandering around. Right. And they've often got carriages, haven't they? They're, they're riding around without their heads and carriages. <laughs> yes. Have there ever been any executions there? Not beheadings that I know of. No, that would have been not a really uh, English style of execution. Or it not would have been. No, I guess it would have been at one point. But By the time Newfoundland was settled uh, and by the time executions were going on here, it would have been more hanging. Yeah, that's yeah. What, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's where Gibbet Hill in St. John's got its name. Oh, oh, interesting. Probably it wasn't live gibbeting. Probably it was just the corpses of executed murderers. But um, still, grim. I didn't know that they did that. They would put a corpse up just for show, to show that we did to it. Show, to show what happens, I guess. Oh, oh quite, I quite never, that's, I learned something new. And gibbeting is, is, is the, in the cage, right? That's right, yeah. They would have hung them and then put them in the cage. Yep. Um, now, I don't know if the gibbet in St. John's was ever actually used, but there's a hill named for it anyway. Oh, Very I, bet cool. that, I bet that's got some ghosts on it. Yep. Mm. Yep. Signal Hill is actually supposed to be quite haunted, but I haven't done too much research into, into that area. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the haunted points in town. And for our international listeners or anyone who's maybe not familiar with Newfoundland, Signal Hill is the St. John's is built in this enclosed harbor, right? With two sort of mountains on either side. And is that like, am I describing this correctly? That's right. Yeah. Uh, there's sort of high fells on, on either side and, and the narrows between them, this very small passage through which it would be very difficult to bring an invading fleet. So yeah. it was quite protected. And Signal Hill is on Looking towards the narrows, it's on the left side, and it's the town side. That's that's really where right. St. John's is um, is congregated, and it's now a national historic site. Some really beautiful mm -hmm. trails up there. It's mm -hmm. pretty rugged, you know, rock, and you, you can drive up. But there's also a lot of a lot of hiking and uh, a lot of lovely uh, walks and trails and gorgeous views of the sea. And I know that I know this is a bit off topic, but I, I like painting that picture too for our listener. And it's called Signal Hill because of Marconi, correct? That's right, yeah. And the the yeah. The signal It was transmitted across the ocean. Yep. Eric Larson does a great book about it. Oh excellent. Thunderstruck, I think it is. Yeah. Okay, cool. we took okay. you off topic, so continue. Yeah, so just by way of contrast uh to the Fairyland story, there's there's another story at Change Islands, which I'm realizing I've color coded differently than the other one, so maybe I should maybe I should do something about that. Sorry, I have I have color coding for all the different types of apparition or story in in the map, but sometimes there's a bit of overlap between them, and I'll have to choose one or the other. So so this is a similar story, uh, but because it doesn't involve an actual known shipwreck, it's in a different category, and okay. this one's even more succinct that. The cries of men that were drowned at sea could be heard on foggy nights up in these islands, which are on the north coast uh, near Fogo Island. And oh, this okay. ceased after they were given a proper burial service. So obviously, they, because it's not connected to a, a known wreck, it wouldn't have been really their bodies that were, that were buried. It would have been more just a ceremony for them. Oh. And there's a similar theme picked up in the south with the Jane Hunter 
which was wrecked in 1901 near Trapassi, which I'm going to go a little bit off topic here in terms of place names because Trapassi is such a fascinating one for my ghost ship loving mind. Um, it's named after the Baie de Trépassé in Bretagne, in Western France. Um, and the Baie de Trépassé is so-called, Trépassé refers to lost souls or, or doomed souls. And um, basically it's so-called because there were so many shipwrecks there. So mm. why anyone would think that it was a good sign to name your town after after the <laughs> Bay of Drowned Souls. I don't know, but that's what they oh, did. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, there have, have been many shipwrecks in that area. And the Jane Hunter was one of the ones that decided not to quite, not, not to stay at the bottom of the ocean after the wreck. It was seen a few times floating around, sailing its final route, and there was there was only one survivor of the wreck, so it was quite a you know went down with a really terrible loss of, losses of life. And following following the wreck, they started seeing a, a light at that site. And it wasn't until the area was formally blessed that the ship was was able to apparently sail on. So there is a strong. Um Christianity element to life there as well because you've said this a number of times like once they a ceremony was held and their souls were laid to rest so there's this is part of the folklore I take it this strong Christian element yeah definitely um, in Newfoundland there, there's definitely that element and it it's kind of interesting the Protestant Catholic thing which is quite embedded in the province's history because the the Jane Hunter, was blessed by a priest and the uh, the change islands were blessed by an anglican minister so probably the people telling these these stories are you know to some extent there's that element of well our guy made the ghost you know find peace <laughs> but that goes back a long way into the in the british isles where a lot of uh, newfoundland settlers come from this idea that priests and ministers were able to lay the dead to rest and were able to uh, to, to sort of help them move on in in varying degrees of, I guess, official, within their official capacities, because in some cases it was very much there would be a church ceremony and that would be it. In other cases, like I haven't found instances of this so much in Newfoundland, but I've been reading a book of English legends recently and there's there's a lot of instances of sort of folk magic where well, we brought the priest in and he did this and this and this and put the spirit in a bottle and threw it in the sea and chanted Latin over it and, and that everything was fine. So it's definitely, definitely a folk magic element going on. Interesting. Oh, I love that. Amazing. I guess the, the weirdest, there's no better word for it, the weirdest of the ghost ship stories that I've been able to find is the Phantom Greek Galley, which is seen in Placentia Bay which is in the south of Newfoundland, um, kind of between the Avalon Peninsula and the rest of the island, this great big bay with quite a few legends. But this one really stands out because there's no reason why a Greek galley would be seen in Newfoundland. Mm. This vessel's also got one of the more vivid descriptions from people who have seen it. It's a phantom Greek galley, it's on fire, and there are naked oarsmen rowing and screaming. Whoa. Oh, hold on. And when you're saying Greek galley, do you mean like an ancient Greek an galley? An ancient Greek galley. 
Yes. Weird. And naked oarsmen rowing and screaming. It almost sounds like penance. Yes. So whether someone you know, brought, brought some sort of cursed Greek galley over here to set loose on the unsuspecting Placentia Bay. Yeah, I, I don't know where this oh, I'd might love have. To well, I, I, I'm going to spitball and say, what happens if the Greeks did come, right? There's some evidence perhaps that the Romans were made their way over to the Americas. The Romans, Why really? not the Greeks? I would have thought the Romans were... were Busy building roads. Well, we come across. I came across this in a recent episode where it's a, it's a rabbit a rabbit's hole that you just For disappeared sure. down. But there's Roman coins found all along this particular trail that goes through the U.S. Right, Dan, down to South America. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they there's a lot of people out there who believe that they were routinely going back and forth, all based like there's coins been found in Appalachia in that area. Well, you of the talked United about States. it in your West Texas episode. I did. Yeah. So there is a there's a group of people out there who firmly believe that the Romans were all over the place. Oh, how odd. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if maybe maybe a Greek family settled in Newfoundland and maybe their family was cursed and they brought that with them. That would be pretty spooky. Oh, I love that image. What a powerful image. Is this something that's still seen? I don't know if it's been seen recently. I feel like it would be something that would be mentioned uh, if it had been a recent apparition. But mm-hmm. uh, Dale Jarvis, the, the researcher that I was mentioning earlier, yeah, does yeah. mention it in uh, in an article, and he traces it back to a book that was published in the 60s, and before that um, says that it sort of reached its heyday in the 20s. Maybe the 20s is, is when this curse arrived. Who knows? Wow, that's, it's a very striking image. Yeah, it's um, yeah. pretty vivid. And just so, for lack of a better phrase like a fish out of water it's just so strange for that part of the world to see that and then so vivid with the screaming and and naked Mm men right yeah it's really one of the most detailed descriptions of a ghost ship that i've been able to find so far and actually by by way of contrast i will give you one from um from fogo island from fogo harbor that is almost the, the the exact opposite of this story that the story there goes that that there are five lights. So there's a single ghost light that's seen coming through the tickle, which is the the entrance to the harbor, um, which is another great... The the tickle? tickle, Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. And then it breaks into five parts. And seeing that without any context, you would think it was odd. You would think it was probably um, a little bit supernatural, but you wouldn't necessarily think there was any, any story behind it. But... This is one of the ones that has a very local, very personal connection. It's a light that started appearing after the loss of a man, his three sons, and his nephew at sea. Oh. So that's the five parts that it breaks into. So when, when you'd see this light coming in, it's one sort of solid light that then breaks up into five smaller that's right. lights? Yep. That's kind of beautiful in a way. It is. In, in a tragic and eerie way, it, it's a little bit poetic. Yeah, 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 it's quick. Yeah, I like that image. Mm-hmm. It's better than the naked rowing man. Definitely less alarming. Uh, well, more Speak comforting. For <laughs> Speak for yourself, Riley. I would have loved. I would love to be on the beach with you and seeing that, and and to watch, to watch how you would react to it. I'd be running for my phone. Just got to get a picture. Got to get a picture. I'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, didn't happen, you know. I'd be running and trying to snap a Oh, it would be so blurry though. It would be, it would be so blurry because it's, you know, it's moving along and and you're on the beach and it's out there. Yeah. 
Yeah, Fogo's beautiful. My um my friend's partner designed an artist's retreat that's there. Oh, gorgeous. I've heard of that. So there's a beautiful building that you can um, apply to go and live at for, I think, three months at a time just to pursue whatever artistic pursuit that you are involved in. And yeah, my friend. Uh, that really sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's quite beautiful and remote. Mm-hmm. If you want to go somewhere, they say, and just focus on your work, that's where you should go. We have distractions apart from, yeah. apart from a ghost light that comes through the tickle and breaks into five parts. I think I'd find that so comforting for some mm. reason. I don't know why. Well, there is something in in some of these stories. There is something almost reassuring about the presence mm-hmm. of these these memories, these shadows of the past. There's yeah. there's a couple of ones. There's one that goes on a fifty one day route between the Strait of Belleisle, right between Newfoundland and Labrador, all the way down to Bucksport, Maine, and that's supposed to be a ship that was accidentally blown out to sea and that's where it drifted to. And it just goes, you know, just, just takes that same route each, each year, the anniversary that it, that it vanished. And oh. it doesn't do anything. It doesn't cause anybody any harm. It just traces out to that same path. And it's, it's sad, but it's still beautiful. It very much echoes a lot of the folklore that we encounter around ghosts where they just repeat the patterns that they were, that were familiar to them when they were alive. Yes. You know? Well, you've yeah. talked about that, Riley, where it's sort of that the energy is stored, right? And sometimes we talk about with houses or, or but I wonder too, if that is the same idea uh, with the ocean and the sea. Mm-hmm. I think it's particularly interesting at sea because it's so much less of a stable environment. And in a way, you know, the only the only stability that it has for, for us is, is what we put there, um, you know, the, the ships and and, and it's always a temporary transient state. So maybe that's maybe that's what's reassuring about a ghost ship. It's reliable. It's you know yeah, you know well, that it's yeah. going to be there. I think back to what you were saying about why you love the ocean and why you're interested in it. And I feel that same connection where it's very um I, I find the sea very magical mm-hmm. and powerful. You feel a great mystery at your fingertips, you know? And there's a also connected with that a s- real deep sense of calm, mm-hmm. and I feel that even you know going to my cottage that's on on the Ottawa River that just looking out on that water and feeling the power from that water there's nothing more uh, for me that's my happy place and I connecting that then with spirits and with that idea that perhaps there is an afterlife I think that is quite beautiful right. And I know as a kid, I was always afraid of, of, of ghost ships and that. There was a really terrible 1980s movie. Riley, do you remember? I think it was called Ghost Ship. Ghost Ship. It's terrible. It's oh, it's terrible. But as a this. kid, it was terrifying. It's it was so movie. scary. That between that and the Titanic, I was freaked out. Gabriel Byrne is in it, isn't he? I don't remember. I was a little kid. Oh, it's just terrible. It's a bad oh, movie. Man. You know what I was going to mention? I was going to say, in, in sort of opposition to that, I remember very vividly the first time I ever encountered the sea at night. Mm. And I'm talking about being out at sea at mm-hmm. night. And I remember it was you know, one of the adventures I went on with my parents. And the first time that you ever are on the sea at night, it's quite a humbling but also unsettling experience. And I find that you really have to learn to come to sort of be at peace with it because you feel very vulnerable. 
you feel very lost because nothing familiar is around you except this man-made contraption that you're on and the sky is so vast and the water around you is so still at night it's very still at night and very endless and I was actually very unsettled by it for the first couple of nights until I kind of got used to what it was all about. Because when you go out on deck, you're kind of, your mind is blown. First of all, the sky, because it's so bright. There's no light pollution. It's, and if it's a, if it's a clear night, it's unbelievable. But also the water, it just stretches on to infinity mm -hmm. and you feel very, very vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, that is one of the incredible things about it. It's very humbling. Yes, very good word, humbling. Yes, that's exactly yeah. it. You know, you're talking about your first encounter with a ghost ship. Um, my first encounter with the with the concept of a ghost ship was quite frightening as well. But but in a way that I really enjoyed. I was like, I'm scared, but I also I want to hear more. Uh, it was this song called Tales of the Phantom Ship by Lenny Gallant. And mm -hmm. it was on this tape that we, that we got on a road trip to the Maritimes called A Taste of the Maritimes. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Um, but there's one song, like listening to it on a car ride at night as, as you're looking out the windows and everything's dark and it's got this really eerie harmonica going on. Oh, it was spooky. Mm -hmm. And it's about the ghost ship of Northumberland Strait, which famously is said to appear on fire. Um, and it's really quite an alarming apparition to people who see it. It's um, Northumberland Strait is the strip of water between Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island. That's right, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and this ship shows up and burns for a while and then just goes plunging back into the ocean. Oh. Karen, I'm going to be there this summer. Oh. I've, I've, I've rented a cottage right on the Northumberland Strait. Oh, keep an eye out so for I'm going to have to take... I will, and I'll let you know if I see anything. Yes, please do. I will, for real, too. Yeah. Yeah. Do they know the name of that vessel? Uh, according to the song, no. But there's a number of theories about where it might have come from. And I think every time, every time I've seen mention of it, there's been different possible origin stories mentioned. So, okay. so that's kind of an interesting facet of it, that, that people attach stories to it without necessarily having mm -hmm. a history behind it. Yeah, we'll fill in the gaps as a race, won't we? Yeah, yeah. it's definitely one of the things humans are very good at. <laughs> Indeed. Tell us more, tell us more. Well, one of the other legend themes in, in Newfoundland, and in a lot of places, I think, because there's this idea that buried treasure is maybe a little bit dangerous to look for. Um, and there's two stories on the map that really illustrate this in, in Newfoundland. There's one this is what I was. I wanted to hear about this. This is great. There's one on a, a tiny island called St. John's Island in the Strait of Elil. And it's, well, it's a, a story where the buried treasure is honestly a bit of a stretch for me, plausibility-wise. Mm. But mm -hmm. there's a phantom dory that is heard rather than seen being rowed ashore every June the 25th. It's it's a known phenomenon. People talk about it and they, they are aware of this dory and... In the late 19th century, two men decided, you know what that dory's doing? It is going ashore and burying some treasure and we are going to get that treasure. And so they decided to um, go and go and look for it. They were convinced that this was a pirate dory that was, you know, burying some ill-gotten gold and really wanted to get a, their a dory's hands on a it. Is a, a dory's a small that would be yeah. set off from a, a larger boat. That's right. Okay, okay. Yeah, so they went to dig for, for the treasure and in the process, one of them died. They, they don't say how, but um, he met an untimely end. Ooh. And the other was given a phantom slap, which 
I don't quite know what this entailed. The the story was not too detailed about the the manner in which the slap was received, but it was apparently quite a bad slap because he later died as a result of it. Oh, so what? Treasure hunting can apparently be quite uh, quite a risky business around here. I wonder now if if there's like an event every June twenty fifth at that lo- like if there's like a festival, I'd, I'd go. Uh, I had trouble even finding this island. I had to look at the big map in the archive, which if you ever need to know where Newfoundland uh, location is and it's not on Google Maps, the big map in the archive is where to go. It's this great, detailed, you know, richly researched map and it has all the little inlets and islands. And I was able to find this this St. John's Island, but I don't think it's inhabited. Okay. So, How far off the mainland of Newfoundland is it? Pretty far. So it's like kind of like in the middle of the sea. Well, it's in the Strait of Belial, so it's like so between like it the is Labrador protected, and... but it's pretty um, pretty remote as wow. as treasure hunting so locations that's go. In of itself, well, it makes me think of uh, it makes me think of Oak Island. Oh yeah, that story. Like how they saw lights coming in and they thought maybe it was pirates and and then that started the whole the whole you know search for for treasure. Yeah, there's never been a gold rush that had less actual gold in it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. You know, Dan, I was just thinking about haunted houses and I'm thinking 200 years from now, somebody's going to buy your house and all they're going to hear is that bump, 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 bump above your head right now. Yep. <laughs> oh, uh, no, I'm alone in the house, Riley. Those are the ghosts. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, at least your kids are active. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. God, God love them. If they could, they'd be playing uh, ping pong and air hockey right next to me. But uh, oh, is it the seventies? Oh, cool. We have a seventies, yeah, shag uh, carpeting on the walls and floor. Oh, that's a look. Uh, lava lamps, uh, yeah. All right, I think we took you. I took you off because I started talking about Oak Island. Right. Is there another one? Um, like that but this is still kind of on the same theme, treasure hunting, because it's the other the other treasure hunting story that I found within within the archive is from uh, the other end of the island entirely, Petty Harbour and Shoal Bay, which is just south of St John's. And this this one, there's three men that are digging for treasure. Doesn't really say why they thought the treasure was there, but you know maybe maybe they had metal detectors. Maybe they were just enthusiasts digging a hole anyway uh, and they noticed a sailing vessel in their line of sight and came to the conclusion that it was a phantom pirate ship which indicates to me that this is happening you know post age of sail and two of them left because they saw a dory rowing ashore from the vessel and they thought this is this is bad news we don't want any part of this nonsense and they were probably right to leave because when they returned actually their friend was dead <gasps> oh. once again the dangers of treasure hunting strikes another victim but they may not have left quite soon enough because the story says that they later disappeared from their homes so it's another another slightly creepy one one. yeah that is yeah i think the most threatening ghosts are these treasure guardian ones as as far as i can tell from from that's funny because i was going to ask earlier if there's pirate related ghost ships and i guess this would be tied into that right but there's no theory as to who these ships or pirates might have been connected with? No, there's there's no theory in that case. There's a story further south in Cape Roger, which actually talks about a phantom battle between two different pirate ships. And the nearest that gets to you know, specifying which pirates were involved was um, to say that they'd been using Cape Roger as a base and traveling to Spain to plunder ships and were sunk by a rival pirate ship on their way back. Mm. 
there's mm. su supposed to be flashes of light and snatches of unintelligible voices, as well as what the what the index card called industrious noises, which I guess is the sound of ships sailing. And that's supposed oh. to be this this battle between these phantom pirate ships. And actually, similarly, cool. in further up in um, Davis Cove near Castle Gut in Placentia Bay, there's also supposed to be a phantom pirate vessel. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of pirate history um, around around Newfoundland. A lot of pirate history because there was a lot of privateer history, in fairness. They, they would start off in the perfectly legal sense of only plundering the other guys, and then their uh, letters of mark would be, would be taken back and they'd find themselves suddenly out of a job. So um, piracy it was. I right. see. Yeah, a lot of fa famous pirates started off as basically guns for hire for whomever they were sailing, whatever flight, but then lost that and then turned into these bandits that that's neat. That's very, very cool. Yeah. It's interesting seeing which areas of, of history are being highlighted as well within, within ghost stories. Cause well, as we saw with the blue jacket, you'll get things that are reinterpreted in later years of like history. That's that is taken in a completely different direction. Um, as people's idea of what constitutes a good story shifts. So mm. I theorize that a lot of pirate stories, a lot of pirate, pirate ghost ship stories and you know, treasure hunting stories are very appealing because there's this sort of swashbuckling image that we, mm. that we have and this idea that they were just burying treasure everywhere. So if you, if you go out with your, with your metal detector and your shovel, you'll, you'll get rich. So that, those are things that <laughs> stick in people's heads for sure and so those are the stories that end up being repeated and end up being passed down but of course there's also a lot of stories of just fishermen and vessels that were just just out you know doing a day's work there's a few i, I do have a section um a color code on the map for ghosts seen on board vessels rather than um necessarily ghosts oh, neat. that oh, like shit. full of okay. ghost ships so one instance of that would be a story from St. Philip's where a man's last wish, he, he died on board ship and he asked for his body to be, be brought home. But I believe it was in Labrador that he died and they just left him there because that was the nearest land. That was the best place to leave a body. They didn't want a, a corpse on the way home. And there are superstitions mm. around sailors carrying corpses. So that does square with a lot of beliefs around death at sea. But they started encountering bad weather. Is why they get rid of the body? Sorry? Is that why they would get burial at sea so it doesn't, they don't keep the body on the ship? I mean, burial at sea, yeah, that, that was also quite a, an expediency thing, especially, yeah. especially in times of war where you'd have many, many bodies to deal mm -hmm. with. If you were far enough from, from shore, you didn't, didn't want to carry those for too, too long. As far back as Shakespeare, you've got this idea that, that it's bad luck to carry a corpse as well, and that it causes bad weather, which appears in, in the play Pericles, which causes no end of trouble because the corpse in that case wasn't actually dead. Uh, spoilers for oh. Pericles. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, yes. But in this case, it was, it was sort of the opposite problem. They should have, have carried the man's corpse because they started getting bad weather and decided that that was a sign that they should have obeyed his last wish. So they go back for the body, the weather clears up, and they bury him back in... in St. Phillips. Interesting. Yeah. And the problems disappeared. Yeah, the problems disappeared. The pro there, there was no more issues. No more issues, yeah. I love all these stories with resolution to them. We don't, usually don't get that. It's true. Most of the stories I have are, well, I've, I've just opened one from, from Trinity Bay, 
where fishermen report a phantom ship with light shining which comes dangerously close to their boat. And there's another one from, from the same area. The informant sees the ghosts of two men, uh, two drowned men uh, in the boat, which was then found completely dismantled. The sounds of a ship lost in a storm as it tries to get ashore are heard at Heartsease Beach. So a lot of them are just little tastes of stories. You, you know that mm -hmm. there's more history there, yeah. but what's been passed down, what's been collected are snippets often. Yeah, just glimpses, just little glimpses. What else do you want to tell us? This is your show so t tonight, so what else do you want to share with us? You mentioned you were going to tell us a, a longer one, right? Oh, yes. Um, actually, one thing I, I think I should mention just before, uh, before launching into that is the sort of regional bias of a lot of these stories because there are areas in Newfoundland that are more populated, that are easier to get to, and that are closer to the university. So um, the Avalon Peninsula, Placentia Bay, Trinity Bay, Notre Dame Bay to a certain extent. These are places that are quite well studied and quite well represented on, on the map and within the archive. But I would be really interested to hear more from the western side of Newfoundland, the northern peninsula, uh -huh. the mm -hmm. southern coast where I see now I have only past the Buren Peninsula I have only four dots on the southern coast and they're all mm -hmm. they're all different colors so one of the, one of them's uh, a known shipwreck one of them is an unknown shipwreck one of them's a known ghost ship and one of them's an unknown ghost ship they're all really interesting stories one you know one of them's the history of a a number of wrecks um, off of Ilomar, which again, why why would you name it Island of the Dead? Yeah. I don't know. Death Island. Um, yeah. But that's that's Newfoundland history for you. So a lot of shipwrecks, of course, took place there, and there was quite a lot of heroism on the part of the Harvey family, who were in charge of, I guess, rescue operations for for a lot of these wrecked ships. And the daughter of the family, Anne Harvey, received a medal and had a vessel named after her for, for her heroic actions. And so it was uh, her father, George, and herself, her brother, Tom, and their dog was apparently also involved. Gotta love a story with a heroic dog. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And one in which the woman who does the rescuing receives credit for what she does. Let's love that. Yes. Now, I have a question for you before we get into the bigger oh, yes. story. Is this map yet publicly available? Is it accessible? It is indeed. And I can Ooh, good. give oh. you the link. Yes, I will. I will send you the link. And yeah, send me the link. Are you okay if we share that with Absolutely. our listeners? Great. Okay. Amazing. Yeah, and if anyone has stories of their own, or you know, if anyone's listening from Newfoundland and has encounters that they want to share, or from anywhere else and just wants to to share their story, I'm always interested in hearing of people's encounters, sightings, stories that you're just familiar with from other people's first-hand encounters, like any anything in that line, I would love to hear. How can they, how could people get in touch with you, Karen? Well, my email address is karen.murraybergquist at gmail.com, but because no one will be able to spell that offhand, um, I will also <laughs> send that to you in writing. Great. Yeah, we'll yeah, put that we'll on put our, that, we'll yeah. put that on yeah, we'll our. Yeah, I'm happy to have that shared. I was going to mention this earlier, like at the top of the show, I, so I've been to Newfoundland. Where, what's the name of the town? Is it Bonavista where the Michael is moored or the replica of the Michael? It's the ship that John Cabot. Or the Matthew. Or is it the Matthew? Is it the Matthew? <laughs> it is Bonavista, yes. It's Bonavista. And then I we went to a small town called, I think it's, is it Trinity that's close to Bonavista? Trinity's pretty close. They're on the same peninsula. Yeah, it must have been. Then it was Trinity. Like the, the town was putting on 
a play, so we went. And it was a collection of stories from the area. Oh, the Trinity Pageant. It was project. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess it would have been, right? A pageant. So it, it was great because this the, the whole mandate of this theater company was to um, record the history. Mm-hmm. It was all these oral. And so that's what we got to watch. That's so cool. And it was quite powerful, uh, even as an outsider, to see how important this was. For those people. So it almost makes me think like the work you're doing is recording and and uh, and preserving this history. I hope so. I hope that I can make a good, solid recording of, of these stories, you know, find out what I can about the ones that, that I know less about. Yeah, keep it, keep a good record because, well, these are things that, that connect us to the world around us connects us to the environment we live in and, and we're talking about feeling this this connection to the sea and I think these stories are exemplary of that connection which is why I find them fascinating. I remember once when I was researching some Appalachian folklore for one of these, I don't remember which one Dan, um, there's a site, website where uh, somebody has done interviews of all these um, people who live in the Appalachians because they're quite, they're, they're real characters these people and um, they had recorded stories supernatural stories and they're all online and you just listen to the person actually telling the story and you just push play and you can actually hear that the person who recounted the story tell it it's quite yeah, wonderful that's great. anyway so let's hear this big right, tale so this is off track from newfoundland this is taking us to the perilous drake passage and taking us back whew, a century and a half Roughly, oh, uh, well, okay. al- almost more like two centuries now. This story was published in a German magazine called Globus in, I believe, 1840. And it's a story of an English schooner called the Jenny that set off from England and um, was never seen again. Just sailed off into the Atlantic and disappeared. Everyone assumed that the ship had been wrecked. It's quite sad. The captain had been on board with his family, his wife, his kids, mm. his dog. Vessel seemed to have met with some terrible misfortune. And then 20-something years later, another ship was sailing through the Drake Passage and found, drifting aimlessly, this little schooner. Tried to signal, but nobody was on deck. Nobody was responding to their cries and shouts got on board and tried to try to figure out what was going on. And inside, they were met with a terrible sight. They found the crew, the captain, the captain's family, and yes, the captain's dog, all dead and covered over in a thin sheet of ice. Evidently, they'd drifted southward and had perished in the merciless wastes of the Antarctic Ocean. Oh, that's why they, and were their bodies preserved? Their bodies were perfectly preserved. And the captain was even still sitting at his desk with his pen in his hand and his log out in front of him with the final entry, which read, 71 days without food. I am the only one left alive. (gasps) Oh, I've never heard that story. That, that's crazy. That's the ghost ship of the Drake Passage. That's very much more in the Mary Celeste vein of ghost ship, of like an actual ship yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. is um, lost and reappears with no living crew. But it's right spooky, and it's probably completely invented. I don't know that there was ever even a ship that disappeared called the Jenny, let alone the, the dramatic reappearance mm. and everything. But it was in that grand time when writers of the 
speculative fiction could could publish something and people would read it and think this must have actually happened and yeah. and it was i mean it was it was right. published as a work of fiction but it's been repeated since then as as historical or as semi-historical and so it's in that really interesting sort of gray area mm-hmm. that's where it becomes folklore it's like the orang madang uh, i don't know if you there, do you know that story not quite not the details, no. So World War II era ghost ship where they uh, go on board and everyone is dead on board and they get off and then the ship explodes. Oh, no. It sinks. It's really, and, and again, there was a German connection. It came from a German, <laughs> Germans are making stuff up. It was part of their literary wing of the Second World War. Uh, to make up these stories. But anyway, it, um, uh, yeah. So there's speculation as to whether this ship even existed because there's no record of an SS. Uh-huh. But yeah, but then there's other people that swear by it and who's, there's multiple accounts of people who saw it. Oh, wow. And uh, so it's, it's, an, it's an odd story because it's, it probably isn't true, but it could be. You don't know. Like it is a bit of a phenomenon, I think, where something once something's repeated as true, people will sort of frame their own experiences around it and go, "Oh yes, I saw this thing once, which must be connected to that thing, therefore it is true." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first time that it's repeated as as fact, you're bound to get more people latching onto that. That's so interesting. You know what I want to know, Karen? Um, so have you? I, I know you're specifically focusing on shipwrecks and stuff, but there must be, I mean, Newfoundland must be just ripe with other types oh, of yes. stories, ghosts, apparitions, all kinds of Definitely. stuff, right? Rural population by the sea. I mean, it's the perfect yeah, setting. A lot of dark country roads for things to appear on. Mm. Yeah. And, and a lot of fairy lore as well. I mean, ghosts are my main focus, oh, really? but oh. fairies are also quite interesting in, in, the role that they play in Newfoundland. So does that, is that, brought, oh. that's been brought over by the Celtic people that yeah. have settled there? Yeah, a lot of them, like a lot of the story types that appear are uh, reminiscent of English or Irish or Scottish tales. Um, the precious behavior of the fairies as well is definitely echoed. For someone who is a bit geographically challenged, I always find it interesting that a lot of fairy lore has to do with getting lost and you think you're in familiar territory and then suddenly suddenly you don't recognize where you are and then it turns out you know, you wander around for for days and days and then it turns out that you were 2 miles away from your family farm so that's oh. that's a huge uh, area as well and and I, I can actually recommend you a book on on that also Barbara Vietti's strange terrain amazing work of scholarship on Newfoundland fairy lore oh, I had no idea I never would have occurred to me are Newfoundlanders still very superstitious people. I know it's become a little bit more, like certainly the East has become a bit more metropolitan, mm-hmm. like St. John's is. But do you find that that there's still a, a belief in these ghost ships and some of this lore that you've mentioned? Oh, well, I wouldn't say necessarily belief, but it'd be bad luck not to. Mm-hmm. And I think a couple of authors really make this point as well, that a lot of these beliefs, there's, it's hard to tell how literally they would have been taken even back in the day, or if they would have been superstitious behaviors. Do you just do that out of habit, um, or, or like ghosts? Yeah. Do you, you know, do you repeat the stories because they're interesting stories, or do you believe that there's something, uh, something supernatural behind them? And it is quite difficult to tell until you're 
in the middle of a supernatural seeming encounter, I think that's really the moment that you'd know if you yourself or if the per person that you're with really believes it or not. You truly believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I asked that just because the, um, the episode that Margot McDonald did where she was talking about the fire spook of Caledonia Mills, I have a neighbor from Caledonia Mills. He believes uh -huh. like it, it's not something oh. that they were raised as kids never to go in those woods and um, you never take anything from that house. They took it for the, his parents drilled that into them uh, that you did. You took, you take this seriously. And even when I was talking to him, you know, outside about this, he, he was like, no, but you, you don't. And this is like a really uh, learned person and articulate and very bright uh, guy, but I, yeah, I just think that's neat when there is these firm beliefs that perhaps there is something, and, and it might be just sort of uh, hedging your bets, right? Yes. Might not be true, but just in case it is, I'm not going to do Obviously that. Obviously bright enough to avoid bad luck. That's good. Yeah, I always call that just in case, because it's amazing how many people g get connected with prayer and stuff just before they die, because it's mm -hmm. just in case. Mm -hmm. You know, just in, they've, they've completely been atheistic their whole life, but just in case they're going to, you know, edge their bets when they're, when they're uh, approaching the end of, I want to ask you though, have, are there any ghost steamers? Yes. Yes. Actually, oh. one of the odder things that I have found that I have yet to look further into is a mention of a steam powered pirate ship, which seems well, a bit steampunk, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's really sort of giving without context. But there's a couple of others that are just, just regular ships that are steamers. And I believe there was one in the 1920s. Let me just see if I can locate it. I can't find the exact spot where it, where it took place, but it was a story of some people on, on a ship just having a party, cruising along, along the coast uh, for New Year's Eve. And, and a ship that appeared to be contemporary with their own, appeared and they, you know, they signaled to it, they waved and the ship just vanished. So I think the implication there is that it was a steamship, but I don't know if it was specified within the story itself. I've okay. also just found, um, who was asking about the World War II? Me, Dan. Dan, I have found a World War II story. It is very, very brief, uh, but in Placentia at midnight, uh, some nights, a boat with ghost World War II soldiers will be seen from the wharf. So there is definitely a oh. World War II story in, in there. Very cool. Yeah. Is Placentia, is that where Argentia is? Yes. And there was a big military base there, correct? Oh, was there? I actually don't know. I think, I think so. Don't quote me on that. I could be very wrong. So have there ever been any like really significant maritime tragedies in Newfoundland? There was the sealing disaster, which was pretty devastating and you know, in history terms, pretty recent. I think that was 1914. But that was two ships that there was Newfoundland and the Southern Cross. So I think I think the general gist of, of the Newfoundland sealing disaster was these two sealing vessels. Uh, the Newfoundland had some survivors, but a lot of a lot of deaths, a lot of severe injuries, and they were stuck on the ice for I don't know how long, but longer than any person should be. And the Southern oh. Cross was lost without trace uh, just went down off of off of the coast and was never seen again some of the people from the ship were seen again delivering final messages to their families in spirit form but the ship itself Ooh. was completely lost now the waters around newfoundland are 
very unforgiving, yes. right? Turbulence. Yeah. So it's it's, it's tough, tough yeah. life. Very risky life. A lot of rocky coasts, tall cliffs. And 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 frigid waters. Frigid waters, turbulent seas, and, and hidden rocks, hidden dangers, um, especially mm-hmm. pre-development of, of more sophisticated navigational technology. There would be a lot of things mm-hmm. depended on, well, whether someone else had hit it before. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a life. I can't even imagine. I've been doing some research lately into a, an English um, maritime disaster that really only came about because they didn't know where the Scilly Isles were. And it's really, it's, it's so sad because this was a horrible, horrible tragedy, but it took place on the Scilly Isles. The main figure it involved in it was called Sir Cloudsley Shovel. All the names are ridiculous. Oh, good Lord. Where are the Scilly Isles? The Scilly Isles, yes. It's spelled S-C-I-L-L-Y, but it's pronounced silly. And this is in the British Isles? Yep, this is, this is sort of in near the English Channel, but more to the west. This is Okay. Yeah. Okay. What was his name again? Admiral Sir Cloudsley Shovel. I don't know why, but that makes it sillier. Oh, God, that name. That is a great yep. name. If they ever make a movie about it, Riley, you'd be a perfect uh, Sir Shovel. Thank you, Dan. You always know how to make me feel good. One of those magnificent 17th century wigs that just just like all curls (laughs) and cascading down. Yeah. And I have to be old and have an ear trumpet. The main thing (laughs) is that you need to have a fancy ring because the story goes that Sir Cloudsley had this very valuable, very expensive ring. And in some versions of the story, that's how his body's identified. In other versions of the story... So Sir Cloudsley wasn't exactly a, a well-liked fellow. So in, in some versions of this disaster, he first you know, makes the terrible misjudgment of ignoring the one sailor on his ship who's from the Scilly Isles and is trying to tell him, oh, we're sailing too close to the Western rocks. We need to, we need to alter course. And he says, well, what would a common sailor know about this business? Get thee from my sight. And when he tries warning him again, Sir Cloudsley runs out of patience and hangs him from the yardarm. And then, oh. of course, of course, his ship crashes into the rocks and everyone dies. Um, and Sir Cloudsley washes up on shore, barely alive, only to be found by a local woman who sees the ring on his finger and thinks, great, I'm rich now, kills him and takes it. So oh, that's, that's one version of the tale. Of course, it does sort of beg that question of, well, if everybody on the ship died, how where does the story of the of the sailor come from? It's almost certainly an invention, but it's it's a compelling invention. It's got the the hubris and the tragedy, and yeah, it's really. Um, and they make you know those stories because we talk about rural gothic all the time. Um, these stories just make life so interesting. They make the world, they make the mundane so much more interesting and provocative. You know, it's I love it. Well, Karen, uh, we don't want to keep you for. For well, you've given us an hour and a half. Well, and imagine. isn't it like four in the morning there? Yeah, what time is it in Newfoundland right now? My it's God. 10 or 7. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> four in the morning. I'd have to be in France. <laughs> Where did you think Newfoundland was? Uh, Karen, I really enjoyed this. This was really neat and, uh, and um, kind of cool when it's a smorgasbord of tales like that. And also the history connected to it as well, right? It's not just the... Uh, the fantastical, mm-hmm. but also the history that's connected, which right. I love. And I think our listeners enjoyed too. So uh, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing all of your work. Oh, thank you for having me. I can't believe what a fascinating academic pursuit you're on. Well, I hope it 
comes to something. I mean, at the moment, it's very much I, I'm doing the thesis proposal and I'm trying to trying to really figure out the route from here. But I'm excited about it. Very cool. Oh, it's wonderful. Okay. So is just one one last closing thing. Is Newfoundland now your home? That's a very complicated question. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it is for now. Wonderful. Well, you're you're a sailor, so you, who knows where you'll end Wherever up. the wind takes you're, me. You're a jack in port right yep. now. All right. Well, um, I guess that's it again. Thank you for joining us. And as we always say, uh, folks out there, thank you for joining us on this wonderful and uh, weird excursion. We'd love that you tag along with us every week on our adventures. Um, as we say every week, please share um, this uh, podcast with your friends. No, Riley, it's share the word of the weird. I know, but I'm just trying to try something new. Oh, boy. All right, fine. Share the word of the weird with your friends. Um, if you hate the podcast, share it with those that you despise. And it's um, it'll it serves them right. And if, it, it, again, we'll be posting, Karen, all of the information that, uh, like that map. And, and if people do want to contact you, because I know we do have listeners uh, from Newfoundland and the other maritime mm-hmm. provinces, and as well as, um, you know, Ireland and, and, uh, and, and Great Britain. So maybe you'll get some cool... Uh, hits from those folks um or our one listener in bhutan who did uh, i i do re-emerged really yes <laughs> the kingdom of bhutan um yeah kind of neat so uh no thanks very much we'll, we'll share that through our social media platforms uh thank you again and uh, we we really enjoyed this this was this was quite awesome thank you it's really been a pleasure thank you thank you good night everybody